Hi again. This is the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I'm covering the second half of an important chapter in the book No Reason to Hide by Erwin Lutzer. And I'd recommend everybody get this book to see what's going on in our society. Not to be discouraged, but just to recognize what's happening, why people are saying the things they're saying and doing the things they're doing, and then ways that we can combat some of the negative um, aspects of this. So this is chapter four. It's dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's DEI. And that's so big in our society these days. So let's pick up uh, kind of halfway through the chapter, I guess, here. I think this is so good. Thaddeus Williams, uh, he, he says here, the more fully committed we become to a vision of justice in which unequal outcomes are automatically assumed to be the result of injustice, the more our quest for justice will lead, it must lead to the use of power to enforce sameness. So let me pick up on that again, just to see if that makes sense. He says, if we get this idea that justice means we have to shape outcomes to be equal, because we're assuming that every outcome that's different is a result of injustice, he said, it's going to lead to the use of power. That's the only way you're going to get sameness. Then he also says this, different outcomes are the price of freedom. The converse is also true. Tyranny is the price of equal outcomes. Um, I think about communism, as somebody once said, yeah, the communists made sure everybody was equal. They were equally miserable. But um, anyway, so I think that quotation is really powerful. He said, if you give, now back to Lutzer again, he says, if you give people freedom, give them freedom, you're going to get unequal outcomes. He said, take a look at uh, within a family. Individual kids grow up, they make choices, they're going to have different outcomes. The only way you'll get equal outcomes is through tyranny, and that's coercion. And it's uh, having freedom-denying laws, and I think that's so true. He said also, if you look at identity uh, policies, they've led to identity, identity deconstruction classes in our universities. Whatever's white has to be banned. In fact, uh, there's a quote from the New York Times, a Princeton associate professor of classics talked about whiteness in the classics. Here's a quote from this professor. Systemic racism is foundational to those institutions that incubate classics, and classics is a field itself. So you're just, it's whiteness. You have to toss all of those out. But what else is the problem? Uh, well, there's another enemy that DEI comes up against, family supremacy. There's an organization called the National Council on Family Relations. And Lutzer says once they were devoted to strengthening families, but now they're claiming the nuclear family is an example of what they call family supremacy, which is part of white supremacy. So they said, if you look at the difference between black and white families, it's not fatherlessness. Remember last time we talked about some of the, the other problems that are uh, causing uh, different outcomes. He says, but this um, National Council says it's lack of resources. So it's economics. That's pure Marxism. Here's another problem that he, said, he sees with DEI. It inflames hate, not forgiveness. He uses an example here. There's a New York Times bestseller I'd never heard of it, but it's called A Rhythm of Prayer, compiled by somebody named Bessie. And it's got these so-called Christian prayers in it. And here's one of the prayers. It's entitled, The Prayer of a Weary Black Woman. And a Dr. Walker Barnes says, um, th this has this prayer. Dear God, please help me to hate white people 
or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them, individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided, racist souls. To stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. And he asks a simple question, is this kind of racial hatred good for America? No, I don't think so. He says, actually, if you want a, a good book to, to deal with racism, bring us together. He says, John Perkins, who's a great black preacher and a leader, wrote a book called One Blood, Parting Words to the Church on Race and Love. And he was himself, Perkins was just abused terribly by white people during the Jim Crow era in the South. And here's what he said. I had learned to hate the white people of Mississippi, and if I had not met Jesus, I would have died carrying that heavy burden of hate to the grave. And his whole life, Perkins' whole life, was bringing unity to the church. Really powerful. Perkins uh, actually got into in the hospital when he was uh, beat up and all, and he said that the care he received from white doctors and nurses helped heal his soul. Tony Evans, another black leader, says this, Reject the victim mentality. Victimology nurtures an unfocused strain of resentment rooted in a defeatist mentality through which all reality is filtered. So what's he saying? If you play that victimology game over and over again, that perpetuates hate. And that's what you're going to do. It's going to eat you up. Only forgiveness can bring healing. So Lutzer says you can't fight racism by mandating racism. You can't fight hate with more hate. Marxism and their ideology divides the world into victims and oppressors with while at the same time they're ignoring individual differences that works against the betterment of race relations. He mentions Tammy Bruce, a lesbian, one time head of the National Organization of Women in L.A. She says, when your victimhood is your empowerment, recovery is the enemy, and working on individual change becomes counterproductive, even dangerous to our identity. Do you hear that? When your victimhood is your empowerment, recovery is an enemy, so you never get better. You can't get better. So victimhood has to be maintained at all the time all the time. Lutzer says this attitude is that victimhood must be snatched from the jaws of true progress. Okay, what else does he mention in here? Well, he says it's being uh, DEI is being used to attack the very concept of objective truth. He said at one time you believed truth was outside yourself and you could talk back and forth, agree, disagree to try to reach a conclusion of what the truth is. He says no more. In this woke culture today, there's no truth out there. Now it's in me. And whatever I say it is, that's what it is. That's truth. He said, lived experience becomes the way to go. And it's your experience against my experience. Those are themes that you hear of in the social justice movement literature. Truth has to be found where? Not out in the world, in the experiences of the oppressed. Because the underprivileged can see things that the privileged can't. He says... And I like what Lutzer says here. He says, you gotta be, you got to slow down. He said, we should listen to the oppressed when they share their experiences. We're not saying to them, shut up, I don't want to hear you. Of course we should. We should listen, listen with patience and care. Uh, they've endured things that we haven't endured. Romans twelve fifteen says, we should weep with those who weep. But, and this is Lutzer's main point, this other theory of knowledge agrees with Karl Marx that Everything depends on your experience. There's no objective truth outside of us to strive. It's found looking within, interpreting life from your personal standpoint. It's the triumph of selfism, which is a whole point Lutzer's been bringing up in this entire book. 
And he says, you see that in literature, and you see that in the Constitution, for example. The words on the page don't mean what they say. You have to interpret everything according to your own experience. That's deconstruction. I saw that uh, with literature classes. Some of them do the same thing. They say, forget what Melville was trying to say or Hemingway. You just bring your own ideas to it. Um, he says, uh, Lutzer, back to Lutzer again. He said, there are some who teach that white people have never interpreted the Bible correctly. Why? Because they're oppressors. And when they read the Bible, it's trying to keep themselves in power. And he said, Lutzer says, well, yeah, there are disagreements uh, among Christians about certain text passages, but this is the key here, the text, not our race, not our privilege, not our money, not our age. The text should be the lens through which we interpret God's word. Well, amen to that. All right, I'm starting to wrap up here. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Uh, there's so much to it, and I need to get through it more quickly. I just found this fascinating. It says the, the new woke community bank would destroy arithmetic. Really? Yeah, in a DEI framework, certain minorities allegedly find math more difficult than the majority, so it's got to be revised to lower the bar so it'll be more equitable. Instead of helping the ones who don't get math, help them get it, we'll just lower the bar. Wow, okay. Um, okay, I, he says, all right, when it came time to build a bridge, would you hire an architect who believed that math should be more equitable to minorities? And then don't worry about your measurements and safety standards? No, no, no. He said, take a look at a book by Kleinerman, K-L-A-I-N-E-R-M-A-N. Kleinerman has an article, There Is No Such Thing as White Math. I haven't read that one, but that sounds interesting. Um, <laughs> speaking of college, he says, many graduates immersed in general gender and critical race theories have prepared themselves for a world that does not exist. Oh, that's dynamite, isn't it? They're all ready for that world, but it's not out there. So what are they going to do with their degree? All right. Uh, DEI misuses the justice system. Criminals go free. Why? Because you want to make sure the population of the prison reflects the racial demographics. So we get this phrase, over-criminalization. But he says, you know, black brothers and sisters will tell us they have been unfairly targeted, and you have to listen carefully to them. But you don't want to broad brush and denounce policing in general. In fact, it's often the uh, minority community that wants police there. So um, he says, why the defund the police movement? He says, Marxists use chaos to bring about a Marxist state. So we, we shouldn't be surprised that the police that try to act as a barrier you know, against total chaos would be under attack. He says, notice how often justice reform means protecting the criminals, not the victims. He says, Marx, remember, is the one who taught that people commit crimes only because they're oppressed. So if you remove that oppression, then crime would decrease. Oh, have you seen that happen? No, neither have I. Crime is in our hearts. It's in the individual heart. We're broken people. And crime is going to happen. It's going to happen more once you remove the police. He says at the end of that section, he says, uh, you better not miss this. Once the revolution is complete and the radicals are in charge, they're going to advocate for a strong and intrusive police force to, what, force strict commitment to their ideology. Um, he says minorities often reject DEI. Tim Scott, he's a black congressman for South Carolina. He says woke supremacy is as bad as white supremacy. 
Yeah. Uh, one black mother gave an impassioned speech against critical race theory at a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia. She said, CRT is not an honest dialogue. It's a tactic used by Hitler and the Ku Klux Klan to dumb down my ancestors so we couldn't think for ourselves. She said, CRT is racist, it's abusive, it discriminates against one's color. You can't tell me what, you cannot tell me what is or is not racist. Okay, I thought that was a good point. Uh, he says, what's the overall, though? If you look back at the whole thing, what's the overall basic error of woke theology? What is it? He said, an inadequate doctrine of sin. He says, so it also has an inadequate doctrine of salvation. But I want to come back to that. Sin, right? They don't have a doc good doctrine of sin. What's sin to them? Where's evil? It's in the system. That's why they use that word systemic. It's not in the human heart. But what do we say biblically? We're all sinful. Boy, the older I get, the more I realize that. We're born selfish. We're trying to put ourselves above all others. Every ethnicity struggles with racism. We all stand in need of God's redemption. It's not true that if you're a member of an oppressed group, you can't be a racist. We're all sinners. We're all in need of reconciliation. That's right. However, Salvo magazine had a really interesting article here called The Heresy of Wokeness. He said, given their failure to diagnose sin, it's not surprising that critical theories lack an adequate understanding of salvation. The guilt of certain groups and moral superiority of others is fixed and perpetual, so forgiveness and reconciliation are ruled out. Right? Yeah, that's sad. Okay, well, we're wrapping up the chapter here, and he said uh, there is racism. Racism exists in every human heart, but what's missing in this whole DEI business is those who point their fingers and accuse others of racism aren't exempt from the racial bias that they see in others. They don't see themselves broken. They don't, they don't have a problem with that, but that's not human nature. And see, I always come back to the fact that Christianity is the best worldview because it, it most closely uh, gives us the, the true view of reality. We know we're broken. The more these people talk and the angrier they get, you can see they're broken too, but they refuse to see that. It's just a shame. Uh, but uh, they've been misled, and um, I think that's really sad. At the end of the chapter, he says, what are we doing to help unite rather than divide people? He said, we should be listening. We should be listening. And think about what steps can I take toward greater unity? And he said, join an organization in your area that's reaching out to the poor, the marginalized, the suffering, regardless of skin color, and become acquainted with multi-ethnic churches that are uh, modeling the fact that we're one in Christ. And let's work together toward gospel-driven justice together. Oh, I agree with that. So again, this is Erwin Lutzer's book, No Reason to Hide. I will be coming back to this one way more than a couple of times because it's got so much good to say. Well, don't get discouraged for the way things are going in our society. Uh, God's in charge. All we can do is be faithful to him, and uh, he will raise up people. He's done it in the past who can uh, make a huge difference in our society. We can pray for revival. I know I do. And uh, so uh, take care. Take, Take heart, and uh, I'll talk to you later. We'll have another podcast soon.